Today's chat is brought to you by the support of all our Twitch subscribers. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through the Twitch platform, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the website and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a subscriber of the FFC and gaining access to some exclusive features over in the Discord server, please be sure to visit our Twitch account and click on the subscribe button. If you're an Amazon Prime member, remember that you do have a free subscription to Twitch every month that can be used for this. And for those of you who are already subscribers, thank you again for your generosity. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat. Explore together. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on October 25th, 2019, over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat, as we continue our discussion over the Inquisition of the Damned Lore Book. This particular episode will serve as what we have come to call the advanced session of the week's exploration. Congratulations to those who signed up for a deeper dive. Before we go any further, however, let's run through a quick introduction of who all we have with us on the show. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86 and this is the most offensive, vex-offensive fighter, green-eyed music lover. And it's your boy, Breezy. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! I That's like it! I in my I Twitch like streams. It. It's your boy, <laughs> or I started them, actually. Nice. I like it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but... Well, enough with our chatter. Let's just, I know everyone has actually been looking forward to getting into this because I think we're going to actually go through uh, kind of similar to what we did last week, but uh, a little bit more summarization, I ho- I think. Uh, but we'll go right through that. So let's just, uh, let's get right into it. Um, Green, I know, and, and Breezy, I know we kind of chatted a little bit before we started recording about, oh, and real quick. Uh, as we have started to do more of these lore entries, you'll probably notice Lost Lore has kind of taken a back seat most of the time because really the Lost Lore has been spread throughout the entries and the little trivia factoids that are dropped in there. Uh, so I feel like that's a little bit more appropriate way to deliver the Lost Lore th- as throughout the episode rather than trying to concentrate it all up in front and then have you guys remember it, you know, 30 minutes down the road when we're talking about that particular thing. Um, but that being said, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, maybe looking at a way of kind of summarizing the entries. So for, for those who are, have not read all of them, I think there are, how many are there? There's, there's quite a few, if I remember right, there's four, Yeah. as far as 15, like pulling them up. I think 15 yeah. entries. Uh, sorry, I had to do a real quick count. Um, but the first four, I think, would be the f- the easiest to kind of group together. Um, and this is really where we see the introduction of Malkanth, Akrazul, and Azavath, uh, who are who I've kind of come to call like the siblings of the swarm. Um, and there's not really we don't ever really get a uh, a descriptive title given to those three. So that's what I just kind of, to differentiate them from the Daughters of Crota, which are also going to be mentioned, especially like in the first one, because Malkanth is really kind of the the driving force uh, of these of these three individuals in their, what, what it quickly becomes evident as a coup against the, the oligarchy, if you will, of the Hidden Swarm. Uh, Green, I don't know if there's anything that I missed on that. Mm-mm. I think we're good. 
So, like I said, the one one dot one of tattered blood and broken bone is Malkinth's presentation of the siblings' dispute against the daughters of Crota. Uh, they call out the last king of the Osmium Court, which was the father of the siblings of Oryx, Sabathun, and Zivu Arath before they became Hive, uh, and actually kind of the source of everything that led to the Hive's creation. Uh, and then the second one of Tattered Blood and Broken Bone is Akrazul's presentation of the siblings. Uh, so it's their their perspective. Uh, Akrazul is the severed knight. He is the brother to the two sisters of Malkanth and Azavat. Azavat. Wow. Blah, 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 blah. Um, so he, he, is the, he is a knight, whereas the other two are wizards, it seems. Uh, terms of note here were inquisitor and understandings. Um, and I don't, I like the understandings. I'm, I am really interested in hoping that we get more on these, uh, mm-hmm. because it's almost like a layman's version of the book, books of sorrow. I is kind of how I kind of took it. Uh, it's just like an unofficial guide instead of the books of sorrow being the Oryx dictated one or the the truth of the the deep type thing with mm-hmm. Oryx and his brood. Maybe something mm-hmm. that is lesser on that or. Yeah. I, I, I kind of took it as like the Vulgate version, like in, in terms of like religious texts, it'd be like a Vulgate or something, you know, something that's more common uh, than the high speech of the hive, you know, that mm-hmm. is the book of sorrow. Um, it would be something that's more, um, uh, I don't know if approachable would be the right word, but more accessible to the general population of the hive masses. Um, that's, that's how I kind of took it. I'm not sure if that's actually what it is, um, but that's just, like I said, that's just how I kind of took it. Uh, you have the, again, the note of inquisitor. Uh, it's called out as I am not an inquisitor, but um, so you got another kind of role within the hive hierarchy there possibly um but yeah that's really the only ones there and then we get to azavas is it azavath or azavrath i think i typed it i think i put a typo there it's azavath azavath's eager embrace is the third one um and so this is again presentation of their view of the dispute against the daughters of crota not really any big terms of note in that one that i knew that i saw um and then once we get the three presentations, uh, we go back to Malkinth's, and this is what's referred to as Malkinth's Deadly Promise. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is where they basically say, let us reap the just affliction of our suffering's reward. Um, and so this is where they kind of, they don't really do the same oath, but it's kind of a parallel throwback to the oath that Arax and Savathun and Zivu all did on the mast of the ship before they dove and found the worm gods uh, is kind of what I kind of took it there. I don't know if you guys had anything particularly that you wanted to throw in on there. Um, As far as the siblings, the siblings here, their whole oath that they're taking is not it it's not i in my opinion it's not as devout i guess 
it doesn't no. seem to be as it's more it's more anger sanctified yeah it's more of i vow i'm going to reap revenge type thing rather than i make this pack and kind of seal it with blood type thing there it's a commit i'd say it's a commitment to themselves in secret yeah i can i can get behind that subterfuge of government you you don't discuss it online with people you know that's the kind of thing you meet in a dark park under a behind a shady bush it's in cloaks and hoods with daggers they're they're declaring what they hope is going to be a success for future generations to follow so that they don't fall for the foolishness of sword logic you know a thing that is just sealing the doom for the future as malkanth states in his declaration his blasphemous desire kind mm-hmm. of thing he just wants to i i lost my thought on that he he wants to secure a future because he believes the sword logic cannot get it to the hive he has seen crota fall and then his grand ascendant father even died after him it's like right. th- there's nothing to there's nothing securing our future in this so he wants a better future as pretty much all living things do what I find interesting, and I know we're going to get into this a little bit as we get a little further into the cards, but you have the opposite mentality where they don't believe that the sword logic has failed. Um, and it wasn't the this grouping of the sisters, it was the daughters of Crota, where they don't necessarily believe it's failed. They, they kind of doubt it still, still but they, there's still a sanction or a group that believes that Oryx is by... The Guardians defeating him is still appearing to the sword logic in general because in some respects he is still out there and able to continue his his fight towards the final shape. Right. And they also make the and I think that's getting into, I believe, audience with slaughter. Um you start seeing the idea that the daughters of Crota are actually looking to find out if it's possible to resurrect Crota, or not Crota, resurrect Oryx or, in the same way that Oryx, yes, by defying him. Um, and actually with that, there was a, so I've been running around collecting all the quotes from Toland, um, and one of the ones that actually popped up, uh, it actually mentioned something along those lines, and let me pull it up real quick because I just thought about this. Um, do, do, do. Uh, so basically they said he says that um, new voices reverberate through the lunar former carry heresies whispered in the dark below your feet the hidden swarm are acquainting themselves with deeper magics beyond their reckoning to say nothing of ours and so this is mm. where you kind of see with the idea <clears throat> that the daughters of Crota are kind of, they have started playing with this idea of, you know, what would it take to get orcs defined? What would it take to bring back the greatest of their, you know, their, their species, if you will. Uh, and how, how could they manipulate these new powers that they have? Um, yep, yep, yep. So moving on from there, we get into kind of Zulmac's story, right? Are we still? Yes, Zulmac is. He's a major figure who is a minor figure in. He's a major figure in this this story. Minor figure in the overall 
arc. He's still a pretty minor figure in this. He's just he's, he's I kind think of he's a, a means he's, to an end. I was just about to say one. that. Yeah, he's just a means to an end, really. He is the pit fighter. He is the and where if you're following along in the book and everything, you're kind of seeing that in um, ritualistic circle pit, right? So three is that where we're at? Uh, I'm skipping ahead five. a little bit. I think it's the fifth entry, technically. Ah, uh, because there were the four, the four, and the bleh, 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 six. No, audience with slaughter. Audience with slaughter, and then ritualistic circle pit is sixth. Mm-hmm. Sorry, no. I got that ritualistic. flipped in my head. You're good. You're good. So the uh, ritualistic circle pit is kind of the story of Zulmac and his battle to prove himself the strongest of the hidden swarm or prove himself the strongest up there and by doing so kind of earning the right to lead in a respect and since the great osmian king's end countless champions have been scattered to the winds in search of sword logic's promised rewards immeasurable pain and measurable suffering um we kind of just continue to see him try his might he's kind of the poster kid in many respects for those betting on the pit you can almost think of it like the roman gladiatorial matches mm-hmm. he is the gladiator that is going through and proving himself through all these different um challenges thrall and just the amount of thrall essentially the mindless nothings with chittering jaws and razor talons um just he's kind of getting the snot beat out of him in a lot of respects, but he's proven himself. This is the card where he kind of proved himself and he rises and he's going to become a target. And he knows that because as soon as you rise up in ranks in the hive, you also become a target within the hive because somebody else is going to prove themselves stronger by taking you out. Mm-hmm. But, um, Zomax stands above the challengers in the pit while daughters and the congregation look on. Slaughter begins. Blue, you had a note for 11th Truth. The 11th Truth here. Is there something you want to bring? No, it was just, again, it was like uh, another call out for something of note for me was like, you know, hey, so there's a new book in the Hive Arcana that would be that I'm, I'm just noting in the same way that we got kind of teased about the uh, Books of Sorrow back with Thorn, you know, to me this seems like it's another possible tease, if you will. There's a lot of things in this book that also relate back to um, Shadows, perhaps? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, do we... As far as like Zolmec's story, there's not a whole lot besides the fact that he is rising as a champion and the sisters are looking down upon him as, hey, you might be our savior in some respects. You might be able to prove to break free of the, the sword logic in some respects, or you might be the one that we need to take out to prove that you don't have to be part of the sword logic. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing about Zolmak is the 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 level of contempt that the daughters of Crota have towards him. 
because so, they they call it out as he is no prince, he is no king. Uh, so the these are the cards that actually mention so below as above. I know we wanted to talk about this more mm-hmm. in depth. Can we can we dive into that now? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Do you want to you want to talk about that, or you want me to kind of lay out the? Go ahead and lay it out, and um, breezy. If you got stuff that you want to lay out, just feel free to jump in at any point on these kind of oh, things. I, you guys are covering it pretty good so far. I think I'm good listening for the moment. But yeah, <laughs> into it. Um, so the the idea really stems from what's actually referred to in reality, or well, in our world at least, as of of a term called "as above, so below." Uh, and this this is a phrase that actually derives from a, a work that is attributed to an individual named Herm, Hermes Trismegistus, or uh, one of the original, uh, if you will, uh, divinology uh, tarot card esque uh, people. Uh, also big on alchemy, um, and this is a book, a work that was called the Emerald Tablet, uh, and it's it's basically the the message or if you will was basically kind of based off um the lord's prayer in in that time which is and it goes our father in heaven reveal who you are set the world right do what's best as above so below and what it what it's meaning here is that there is a parallel between the heavenly realms of existence and the physical realms of existence that we exist in uh, so it's it's again it's just one of those um, uh, connections between the realms of existence, the realms of being, uh, and that was a really big thing for the mystics uh, at, at that time. So it's just interesting when you see it here because the ones that we see here are actually not as above so below, but rather as below so above. Uh, which is a which is an intriguing little twist, and I don't know, Green, if you wanted to kind of take over and talk about your your uh, your thoughts on why that was so it's such a little curious little thing. So Blue mentioned the ties to kind of the religious, um, the Lord's Prayer type thing, but there's also uh, you see this very often taking place in the Hermetic beliefs, the occult, in some respects, and. The idea that whatever is happening below, if you can create something on a small scale, you can affect things on a large scale. So with it being flipped on its head here, we actually see almost a reverse happen where you have the um, you have the things happening above, the turmoil and everything above also happening down below in many ways in a very similar fight. You have the conflict of Zulmec and his internal conflict of proving himself and everything like that. And then you have the, as above, you had the conflict between the sisters and the coup going on. So it's a, it's a reverse of the typical. Um, if you were to quote unquote cast a spell or to create a ritual or something like that, you do something on a very small scale. Uh, the most, not necessarily pulp culture, but most e- easily recognizable aspect is to have a uh, hoodoo doll. And in the hoodoo doll, you have the little person's essence or whatever attached to it or uh, christened to it. And then you poke it or burn it or whatever. And that's supposedly going to happen to the other person. 
that's the hermetic belief of the as as above so below it's the reverse of it it's the as below so below above so you're creating that on the small scale to affect something on a larger scale um, and you're getting that here through the hive so a call out to not only a religious uh, concept but also kind of the occult like concept or the mystical concept of the hive being called out here again which is kind of nice it's just an interesting twist on it to see it in such a simplified yet unique way anybody else have something to throw in on that one it's very interesting how they how this lore is really founded in a lot of principles of a wide array of religious beliefs that we can find in our realm Mm mm-hmm I I am Christian, and the whole talk of light and darkness thing actually is one of the things that alerted me to destiny as I played through it. <clears throat> excuse me, in the first couple of years of its existence, and it's kind of like a it's kind of like a benefit to my own soul to feel to feel stronger just thinking of my guardian and how their lives grown stronger, going through challenges in life, and just equating them to conquering a raid and how sur- insurmountable King's Fall seemed when it dropped. And just, uh, yeah, just strengthening yourself. So as a Christian, I've enjoyed that. And that's just, a, that's also a human concept. You don't need religion mm-hmm. for that too. Mm-hmm. And also I like to equate that the, as above, so below, it feels like the, uh, the typical way of approaching that was above kind of trickling down to below. Like you want heavenly concepts in yourself as a mortal, which is below heaven and unworthy of it mm-hmm. twisting that on its head and seeing that you can you know take your your quote-unquote lower or lesser state or lot in life and translate that into a higher plane make your will upon the universe manifest which is actually uh that's what Sivorath declared to the leviathan before defying it was that if, if this is the way life is to be i will beat life into submission life will uh find a way to paraphrase the immortal jeff goldblum yes. and i like how that's presented in the lore and you guys talking about as above so below mm-hmm. and the relations to that made me think of that so for sure for well, sure very Blue. fun way to look at all this stuff you ready to move on to the ritualistic or I guess it would be Bloodsport next, right? Mm-hmm. So we have Bloodsport and a Sinister Pass. So Bloodsport is kind of a continuation to Zulmak's story. Uh, Zulmak fails to, uh, falls to the pressing wave of attackers. The daughters, disappointed, retire from spectacle, seeing nothing of worth in the Bloodsport below. So you have Hashladun and Bashurath, Kynox, and I don't, why do I never remember this one's name? Voshire, Voshire. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah have them watching on, and they're disappointed because Zulmek falls, and that was the or appears to fall. Appears to fall. You had the champion kind of fall down, and they're starting to question the the validity of the sword logic or the logic that they've been essentially raised to believe, and so the sisters leave, and you see that in a sinister plot where you see the sisters um those sisters the daughters of crota leave in disgust 
but we see it through a different perspective. We see it through the siblings of uh, Malkanth and Asherath and the as Akrazul. We see them off to the side. And so they're kind of making their plotting and whatnot off to the side a little bit of what they're going to do about it. From there, is there anything you guys want to talk about in Sinister Plot before we go on to Bloodsport? Uh no, okay. I think I think that was I mean, like I said, my my main interest is actually in the semi to last cards. Uh, because I'm I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on some of the events there. Okay. So um the going on to Bloodsport. You have Zulmac is essentially has failed. Congregation is full hardy. Zulmac spins. Why am I? I got turned around. Okay. So Akrazul's lament, and at as advance pride. Mainly just kind of a call out of their pr- uh, preparation for their quote unquote sacrifice for this ritual for their joining, which is incredibly disturbing because (laughs) it's, there's not a non-graphic way to say it that I can think of. Like Russian, Russian dolls is about as, as nice as a way I can say it. I would. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, it's a dark form of surgery. It's a dark, it's a dark, um, it's splicing. Yeah. <laughs> I it's, I was like, I'm trying to, yeah, it's like, oh it's man. It's like an alien got shoved inside of another alien, like, or like it's the, a, it's the, the it's the hive, alien. it's the yeah. hive equivalent of a turduncan. Oh God. Now that's never going to leave my head blue. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I always thought this <laughs> surgical procedure was interesting because I never thought that they kind of don't understand their own anatomy very well, which is something generally kind of relatively trivial to humans because we've spent so much time operating on ourselves and each other and just like, wow, they're taking a very... They're taking a very brute force method to well, this, driving stakes through his wrists and ankles to pin him down as they just cut him open. I'm but like, that's, yeah, life but that's is the nice. thing is, but the that. thing too is that it's not just a physical surgery; it's a it's a it's a metaphysical, a spiritual level dissection as well. And the other right. thing is too is that it's also done through the song. So on top of that. This card right here, Severed and and the Unmade, is the spiritual preparation that they're doing. They are doing a self-reflection. They are um they are giving up their own selves into this situation, this ritual. And the spikes through the arms that you're talking about, that's not uncommon in the hidden swarm. If you look back at the Grimoire cards back in D1 at the imagery for the hidden swarm, and even just go to the moon back on D1. Mm-hmm. The hive have often lots of spikes and um, impalements. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I it's, super, it's super, super common for them to actually do um, self-mutilation, mm-hmm. or it's rather mutilation 
it may not be self-mutilation, maybe somebody else inflicting it on help. Well, but also, I mean, another, another one to look at too, right, is Thorn. Like, look at the Mm -hmm. weapon Thorn. I mean, it's all spikes. You know, and and that's, and that's the one that is, you know, directly influenced by the, the, the carving of Rezel and all that. So, I mean, the the weapons of sorrow as a general rule seem to be a, a prominent thing there too. Um, to me, that's so that's actual... why I'm not. That's why I wasn't hugely surprised with the whole that, and it's also a very primitive, effective way of holding someone down. Right. Yeah. I don't. I mean, uh, it's kind of the most basic idea of change. Change happens through conflict. And so to, um, I'm trying to think, there's a series out there where, oh, it was Deadpool. I, was wa- I finally watched Deadpool. So I'm so proud me. of you. Um, Maybe and, I'll get to it someday. Right? It's worth it. I, I, it's worth it. It, it, is, it is actually worth it. It was a lot of fun to watch. But in Deadpool, the way that they are mutated, they have to go through an immense amount of stress in order to engage the so the idea that they're going through a lot of pain and conflict is to help possibly initiate the change within them to be able to merge the two spirits as well as if if hive have spirits it's hard to well they do because that's what that's what they pull out realm yeah well i mean but that's also what they they pull and shove into each sibling right they 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 say his soul his spirit is angry and powerful and they don't mm-hmm. know if her frame will be able to hold it right let's see here so that in, takes us to the unmaking which the unmaking actually is the beginning so we take a pause on that story as far as like the merging of the two siblings and go back to, I think, where Blue and Breezy are both really excited to talk about, the Song of Life and the Song of Death. Does anybody want to give their own take on these two aspects? Oh, man. Uh, I'll let Breezy, because Breezy, I think, actually is really excited about this one. Yeah, the particularly the the story uh, the record found within the world's grave of an unnamed planet with no record as to keep it safe from the hive invasion. They actually, uh, how did this go? I only read this the other day, so I've only gone through it once, but I was like, I was enjoying it on break at work and I was just sitting there giddy because of how cool it was that this planet was so well fortified their mm-hmm. orbital defense array they actually just barely slipped through and they just got a choir of what some odd 20 death singers mm-hmm. scattered about the planet and this death song was a lullaby it was pleasing from a distance and then the world started catching on to what it was doing mm-hmm. this song this choir it's more than a liturgy of ruin from one death singer like we experienced in crota's end a choir which i never imagined they would do this oh no they're combining death songs of course they are you know orcs's daughters did it the weaving the unraveling mm-hmm. their own songs of death and creation for orcs's realm within his ship they expanded that into an entire choir and inside of about an hour 
they sang the entire planet to death. And I'm like, that's so metal. Right. I'm the like, same. I'm like, dude, this is crazy cool the entire time. And you know, the core goes haywire, the crust and mantle, they all boil, they shift, and they destroy an entire planet through song. Mm-hmm. And again, is... I, I want to see this kind of mechanic in the future oh, in raids. <laughs> but we have. We have seen this mechanic because you have the 30 orc... seconds to kill well, six guardians. Right. Yeah. You have the death song that we saw in Crota. You had also this basically the same death song show up in the Taken King raid. And we had the oracles. If you remember, the oracles um, had the chiming and everything. So the Vex have their own version of trying to interpret it. Now, granted, it's not the same thing. But you have the history of this this death song, which the well, you have hive... it in the Dreaming City too, right? Yes. Um, the because it's the, the song the... of life, though. Oh gosh, the song of life. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the song of life was not always a corruption. It began as a gift stolen from the gardener in efforts to understand the unknowable realities of the orbs. Incredible gifts. A signal was found of repeating tune, the song of creation. Its frequencies were heard across the stars wherever life's promise took hold. Some among the Ammonites worship it. Some among the hive did the same. Still others sought to understand it that they might cage it, that they might control it. For to control life is to control death. Such ambition was not new. Such ambition was as old as understanding. The melody was captured and studied. The frequencies replicated. But the orb's mysterious mysteries were not so easily brought to light. The song, for all its beauty, did not alone grant life. It was theorized that the song was not a song at all, but many. That within its refrain, untold rhythms spoke their own truths, free and clear of the whole. So you have the history of the song of creation, which I blew. You can bleep me out when you go through and edit this. Is mm-hmm amazing i love it i love this part because we get a reference to the gardener and the orb we get kind of almost maybe not necessarily conclusive evidence that the gardener is the traveler but it's really hard to not think that with this um lesson right here this entry right here and then we get the tie-in with the ammonites and the ammonites knowing the song of creation as well knowing that the hive chased the traveler across the cosmos and just ended up destroying the ammonites. And so when the hive tried to replicate the song, we get what happens, what we hear as the song of death, because they're trying to recreate it and it gets manipulated and mangled that there's, it's not just the song of creation anymore. It gets turned into the death song, which is terrifying in many implications. Yeah, and because it plays. They could, they... Oh, go for it. Go for it. I was gonna say it plays into the entire referencing of the Musica Universalis or the Universal Music, mm-hmm. which is what's called the Music of the Spheres. Um, the Song of Creation is harmonious and beautiful, whereas the Song of Destruction is the exact opposite. It's discordant. It's it's you know. I wouldn't go as far to say ugly, but where where the song of creation is harmony, the, the song of destruction is disharmony or disharmonic. Um, fun fun fact, mm-hmm. uh, a music history fact for people: 
the idea of purely harmonious music was a lot of um, the Baroque age. And mm. even earlier, they really, really tried to get to that absolute harmony type music. And so they would not use any sort of dissonance whatsoever. What we consider um, a lot of pop music has a lot of dissonance to what somebody back in that age would consider. So when the church music was saved by the church, just as far as written music and performed music, and it's kind of a weird evolution of Western music, but the church really pressed for this absolute harmony built into the music because they wanted it to be as closely related to um, God or paradise or creation as possible. So the church would sanction uh composers to create songs of absolute harmony and they were not allowed it was illegal to use any sort of dissonance so you don't have the introduction of a lot of dissonance until much later in music history because they slowly started to break away from um, the church in some respects and create more popular music or what we would consider popular music mm-hmm. well so. and it was also because as the civilization recovered from a lot of the problematic events the uh the spread of wealth and the spread of political power emanate or it 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 radiated outwards and so you didn't have patrons that were just ecclesiastical any longer you also had you know existing nobility and and diplomats Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and they weren't they weren't always the same they didn't always see eye to eye with the ways that thing that things were stated um but yeah it's that that's that is a particular thing also that's really interesting as well is the way that the information is retained throughout our own histories is is very fascinating um i was gonna say what was i um Sorry, I sidetracked us. No, 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 no. Actually, I kind of, I did not, I did not help. (laughs) I did not help myself because I was like, oh, that's so true. Because then all I can think of is how the Irish saved civilization. But, um, Mm. which is, that's a whole nother fascinating story. Uh, but yeah. So yeah. Song of death. Song of death. Um, so by trying to recreate the song of creation and failing, they accidentally create a song of death. See, this is where I kind of disagree. I don't think it was an accident. You think they manipulated it? The stricken. I think the stricken did. Because you you Just have. Because, but in order well, to they might have they might have they might have stumbled life. Well, type thing that that was that whole lineup there. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess you could say that maybe they they found out that the power to create wasn't the only thing that the music could do. But mm-hmm. it took me, like, the stricken was, it sounded, or it seemed to me that her intent was not, because she's the one who assassinated the first composer. Right. By singing, by singing her aria of death. Conductor. Or the first conductor, yeah, sorry little bit different yeah slight slight difference and i feel terrible for that but he's okay (laughs) forgive me green it's okay um fun fact an aria is typically a song sung in an opera it is a solo piece um many people who have ever gone through competitions as far as singing sing arias 
beyond that, which is fun because you bring in the idea of opera in the hive and we had the scene of Oryx and Regicide, which was very operatic. And the whole the honestly, the whole Taking King um experience with the Nightfall, or not the Nightfall, but the King's Fall, King's Hall raid is very operatic. Mm-hmm. So my inner geek goes absolutely nuts when it comes to this aspect. Am I in a rock fan goes crazy with the right. Siege Engine soundtrack and Wrath of the Machine? Right. Every single time. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that the fan remix of the Sepix Prime theme actually made it into the game for Sepix Perfected. I will never not love that. I forgot about that. Banger. Yeah. I found it on YouTube like half a year prior to that DLC's launch. I'm like, hold the phone. As soon as I got to that boss encounter for the very first time, I heard the beginning of the intro where I immediately knew what it was. That's how much that song meant to me. Nice. I feel that way about like the Whisper Mission music. Oh, Whisper's music is really good too, especially because they basically did an electronic track and it's good wub wubs, good wub wubs, good times. Mm-hmm. Absolute great wub wubs. I would also like to double back on the talk of the stipulation that the gardener was the traveler for just a moment mm-hmm. and remind us that in the one of the Red War cutscenes, the console said traveler. Other civilizations have been more accurate in their naming. And I was just thinking, realizing that, oh yeah, this has been a lot of places. This great orb has done a lot of terraforming. It turned Mercury into a garden world. And I'm just like, dude, I think they're kind of trying to rub that in their faces. I, I think this gardener probably would be the traveler. And I think that's a little bit of stipulation from a cabal who has lived for quite a long time before Gaul killed him. And the uh, and the other evidence presented in such a way like we have in our own experience of uh, terraforming to a garden world. So I just wanted to get that out yeah. before we moved on out of it. So yeah, I think that's very cool. Absolutely. But they're adding that. Because uh... I want to see what more civilizations from before like we you know the elixir called it the great machine i the want hard... more elixir lore so bad but that's oh, yeah. all that. the hard thing with that with the elixir is that their civilization is not centralized so much you don't have like great tomes of the the elixir now because they're they're kind of that pirate race so you don't get to see it as much i don't think and the whirlwind that dominated their culture and civilization from the once noble race they were. Yep. Um, but as far as continuing into the story of the unmaking, which is a story that Breezy told about the destruction of the planet that with the Ammonites and everything, that oof, talk about a really painful could you imagine like just hearing a lullaby on the on the wind and just everything around you starting to die just completely falling apart i i can but i don't like to <laughs> but um let's see here we also get turned back towards the um scene with the siblings doing the russian doll imitation and we see the final cut being made um, Malkans makes the final cut, killing Azabanth, and then cuts down Akrazul, entrapping his soul and embedding it with Azabanth's now empty body, allowing the broken knight to become once again whole. 
which is interesting because do they do they mention that her soul is still in there because they're saying empty body like it's a shell no she's she fades away okay so she uh there's a line for it hang on uh pretty much died in mind and body but the soul kind of endured in a part that wasn't conscious so that you know she can't willfully know that she's contributing but like the soul feels it and you just know that because it's a feeling kind of she says says, malkinth makes her final cut Azavath's roar shreds her throat shreds her throat and she falls silent her body convulsing against the bolts then becoming motionless for an instant malkinth holds her sister's essence she wishes to say farewell but just as quickly the wisp that was her sister's sister sparks and blinks out malkinth recoils so it was like she she cradled it just for just for like a just for a breath and then it was just gone and then that's when her brother lunges to just out of grief or you know pain i just okay just just a side note i'm gonna this is gonna not be delicately said um i have a lannister vibe from these two um really you think yes very much so no 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 between uh azavath and uh aquazole I get that they were a little bit closer than brother and sisters usually are. Well, we we don't well there's no reason for us to believe that one way or the other because we have no the only quote unquote relations that we know about with the hive have to do with the brood mothers. Right, but throughout the whole thing um uh, maybe maybe it's fine in their society. I don't. Oh know. no 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 no. I mean I'm not I'm not I'm not. Uh, well, I mean my my own personal opinions on that nature aside. Um, right. I, I don't me- as... I don't mean that to say that it's not normal in hive society. Right. But what I'm saying thing... is like when you see the two of them refer to each other, there is um there is a de- there is a strong degree of more. Uh, empathetic speech between the two of them. I'm trying to find it real quick. Um, Mm -hmm. The thing that I would point out, though, is if you think about the hive originating with Oryx, Zavathun, and Zivorath, it originated with those three who were siblings. And we don't know if they self-propagated in any way, shape, or form. If not... They had to have some sort of relations between the three siblings themselves, the three major siblings, which is terrifying to think about in a lot of ways. But that would mean that Zavathun's brood is also partially somebody else's brood, whether it, mm-hmm. uh, it would have to be Oryx's brood. Oryx would have to be the head of it if he's, he's technically the only propagating male in the hive as far as originality. Well, and that's also assuming that they're not, you know, asexual self, self, right but no i mean like just just in and dinos i mean yes i mean i on i also can see it being defended as yeah you just watched your sister kill your other sister you're gonna be kind of pissed i get that um i guess my my whole thing was like there it, i don't know like i i can't quite put my thumb on it but that was just the feeling that i kept it just kept getting throughout the whole thing was there was there's something more going on between the two of them inferences yeah inferences um 
Okay, so Faith and Bone is the next card. Is there something else we want to talk about with the unmaking before we uh, move on to other that? Other than the fact that I really want to see what this hybrid looks like. Yeah, you because and everybody it else. it sounds it freaking I... amazing. Well, what double, was this again? Double the double Perfect. fisting cleavers. Like, I mean, geez, I want to do. I want to do world weapons like that. Mind. Oh Pretty my balling. gosh, sounds so cool. Kratos, but yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly furious. right. Uh-huh. No, it's exactly actually what was in my mind was a was like a Kratos like figure. Oh my gosh! Yeah, big bulky knight with. Shoulder pads that would put a titan to shame. <laughs> oh God! A year one titan, a D two year one titan, a nineteen eighties titan. Oops. Yeah, I definitely want to try and illustrate what I think these things would look like. I can. Yeah, and 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 Dino Dino's actually saying this too. Uh, remember that the as far as the further creation of Hive, they were engaged in a. a literal crusade against the races of the fundament so you know there there was a a a heavy degree in which they um they forcibly converted people if i remember correctly it was like two percent of the fundament so you're saying that oryx and his sisters are rapists that or they're doing the xenomorph function yes 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 i I wouldn't be surprised yes yeah and again yeah, that, yeah, that 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 thing that would be correct and all that inbreeding is very much a thing in other races of the universe. I'm pretty sure, and other creatures on Earth, you know, they do. I, well, I, I mean, I get just it. look at look. I mean, I even even within even within humanity, within the history of humanity, we have cases of that. I mean, most noble noble families, noble of cultures, and and other Egyptian Egyptians. Were exactly that. So, I mean, it's not, again, it's not, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. I was just calling that out because I kept getting this weird Lance vibe. Vibe, yeah. That's Could funny, be. too. <laughs> Could be. All right. So, we're going to flash back towards the pit with Zalma. Uh, oh, my gosh, Zulmac. this scene. And Zolmak the Unwavering has stood now for a third time. He is on, he's just on high because he's just made it three times now. And soon the mighty who will remain will defer to his sword, his power. He has kind of climbed his way up through the ranks as far as his sword logic, his proving of himself. And then we have the sisters of. Um, the daughters of Crota, Hashladun, and everybody there. I, you know, I'm just going to read this card. <laughs> Among the plotting throng, Hashladun and her sisters remain silent. They'd hope for one to prove their worth and stake their claim, but the long, violent road to Zulmek's rise has seeded doubt. The daughters hold little confidence in the pit's ability to provide a victor truly born of the sword logic. Zulmak has been impressive, but a king? Surely not. For whom he has faced? For whom has he faced? What competition had the swarm mustered? The aftermath of their father's murderer, her father's murderer, 
and their grandfather's war had left them bereft of warriors of a caliber befitting royalty. The light has seen it so. The hated guardians came and inflicted their will upon the hive, on the moon, and across the system. Now all that remains are scraps of a broken legacy. To Hashladun's mind, mind, the pit has proven a failure, regardless of Zulmag's triumph. Further, the daughters hold a secret belief that their forebears have yet to fail the logic's call. Crota and Oryx were both defeated, yes, but not for the first time. And the daughters still have faith in that the king of bone, the taker of will, and the one and true king of shapes would never fall as far as to be lost in eternity. If nothing else, the terror of their deeds, the memory of their conquest, lives on like nightmares that may be awakened for the weak, truly no fear. In that faith, the daughters have made plans of their own, schemes to rekindle the greatness of their lineage, strategies born beyond the pit. Thus, deep beneath the hellmouth, their heirs probe strange new possibilities from ancient discovery. Possibilities that will forge the pit to carve new paths and new understandings through which the logic may yet prove their grandfather's authority. However, those who would see their family unseated, those among whom they now stand, would mark their research as an affront. The logic is the logic, they would say. It is known and it is good. But they lack imagination. The logic is not simply brute force. It is cunning and guile. It is survival. It is victory born of all that makes a king mighty. In the pit, Zulmak unleashes a battle cry. He is ready to be done with it all. He is ready to claim his crown. Hashladun considers him with disgust. He will never be a king, only ever a tool, blunt and brutal. Should he be, be anointed as a champion of the pit, should he be crowned, the daughter's plots would be threatened before they ever truly begin. So, dun dun dun. He is mighty of arms, but maybe not as mighty in mind. Mm-hmm. And the daughters of Crota don't like him. They're going to, they're, if he gets in their way, they are going to try and take him out and in many ways do indeed do that moving forward so anything that we want to talk about with these guys i am intrigued because it's almost like unbeknownst to either party they're actually working to the same goal in some ways one is still I don't know. I think it's more of the daughters of Crota are wanting to, in some respects to not necessarily prove the logic, but they have such faith that the plot and the plans of Oryx have not failed in some respects that they've convinced themselves that the rising of a new head or a new king cannot be made in a pit like this because it's not truly a challenge they have not proven themselves to have not only defeated their siblings like uh oryx defeated zavathun and zivor wrath but also civilizations the ammonites and whatnot like there's no way that he could live up to oryx's name mm-hmm. nice <laughs> mm-hmm. so moving on from 
the that to the anti-logic this one blue you had a lot of notes on this one so i'm gonna <laughs> let you take lead on this one so the anti-logic this is where so like we had like the amazing scene with uh you know, scroll down here <clears throat> so basically this is where you just get like this amazing scene with uh the figure of the what, what are we referring to the the Champion Kniz, of the pit. Nizwit, Niz, uh, Wiznight. What are they referring to the the K- abomination? K- at? Kizzard? Kizzard? The Kizzard? The Kizzard has a gizzard. Um, but like we get this like just awesome scene of uh, basically the figure that was Azavath uh, rising up and just taking out the majority of the what's referred to as the congregation, which is basically the other high ranking figures of the hive society, I guess you would call it. Um, and, and so this basically the abomination just rises into the, the heights of the Scarlet keep. Uh, the corpse of Zolmak is now left in the ruins of what was the pit, uh, the abomination having kind of just, ripped him apart literally ripped him apart um and you know and basically they're like what's going on whoa 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 what's going on and as they're kind of trying to figure out what's going on uh he just starts taking him out and just starts taking him out and left and right um and this is where you see the daughters of crota actually start also taking advantage of the chaos and start assassinating those who were challenging their own you know their right to be leaders um and and then all of a sudden it seems like out of the blue uh malkinth calls back her sibling i don't know if it's really a brother or sister at this point um but malkinth is also wounded so we don't really know where malkinth was wounded but malkinth uh calls back the figure and basically lives up to her namesake of the deceptive or the deceiver and sings it to death uh, and casts the, the song and, and rips is uh, I don't know which one to refer to Al- Alcazul, Akrazul or Azavath uh, rips it to rips it, rips it apart is, and is kills who's, it. Who's, who's, who's mentioned mostly. Right. Uh, because it's in this, it's in the body of a wizard, but it's got the mm-hmm. demeanor and the strength of a knight. Um, and basically, Malkanth just base just unmakes the abomination that she made. You know, mere. We we kind of get the feeling it was a little bit. It's not immediately right before, but, and and so and then the scene kind of ends with Hashladun looking down again looking down over the the chaos and uh, kind of a nod to the recognition of an opportunity that has been presented before the daughters because now you know where zolmak was actually kind of a threat to them um the this coup this attempted coup actually did them a favor and took zolmak out um and then you know with uh, with Malkinth also then taking out the abomination that was killing the congregation, well, that threat's ended as well. 
So that's kind of where it ends. So we don't really know what Malkinth was. We don't know why Malkinth was doing that final little betrayal from here. It's interesting because the whole point of Malkinth doing this is this deceiver's plan is unfulfilled, but there is victory and stalled sword logic. So it goes back to the idea of not fulfilling the typical sword logic. It's really the idea of stalling out sword logic to me is really dumb um it's like the they're just fighting against themselves they're fighting against the the typical basic knowledge that they've understood this whole time and so by just stalling out this own plan it's like uh okay that was kind of pointless and you played into hashladoon's hand well, there's that, and then, I mean, so, like, you know, the Hive are not the only example of iron sharpening iron that we have. I mean, Rome was exactly this as well. And eventually it does always fall on itself. Like, it's always going to implode. But, I, I I just, I don't know. I mean, I, this 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 ending is the one thing that kind of, I'm like... Okay, but I want one more entry that explains what just happened here. Because, you know, and and that's what Chad is kind of talking about too, is like, you know, Dino is saying, you know, Malkinth he thinks that Malkinth killed it because it's just too much rage. It's it's uncontrollable. Um, which I mean, I can see that, especially again, Malkinth is wounded, so especially if the abomination was the one that wounded her then it's like, oh yeah, no, definitely. This is like, oh, we didn't, we didn't take this into calculate, or we didn't take this into our calculations, and we need to, we need to reset, which is kind of unfortunate because there's only one set of siblings. A- um, failed song. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I, that's that's just my. That was when I read this. That was what was standing out to me. Was it was like, okay, so is Malkinth. Was Malkinth in on, on the whole thing? Like, was this was yeah. this? You know, I don't, I don't think so. But it, I'm just curious what your guys' thoughts are on that particular piece. Do you, do you think Malkinth was in cahoots with Hasladun? I postulate it. I don't know. Maybe. I think if they were a conspirator of that level was the thing an experiment orchestrated by Hashladun? Right, that's what I mean is like but but then but and the reason I I hesitate on that is that th- there's like there's this weird reaction with the daughters of Crota and then there's also just this vehement disgust with the the siblings towards the daughters of Crota and the and the congregation as a whole um you know i i don't think that's necessarily something that they that i I mean and i don't know like malkinth is is literally called the deceiver so right but i don't here's what i here's where i'm kind of tracking a little bit more is the fact that there there was a legitimate plot to try to overthrow this and everything the Plot between the siblings Malkanth and the two A siblings, uh, Zarath and uh, Akrazul. 
the that was a legitimate thing, but because the experimentation of placing them and forging them into something new, into a new shape, um, because in some respects it was uncontrollable, the deceiver goes through and takes it out. I don't think it was necessarily in cahoots with Hashladun. I think it just didn't serve her purpose and that she got rid of it before it caused any more issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you think it was just a bot? It was just a, Botched a, a wild card that didn't live up to what they were hoping? Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's where I'm tracking with it. Um, whether or not that's actually intended, we, we can possibly wait to find out if they release more cards out of this this book or this unknowing this concept but i don't think that it was an intentional deception from malkanth i think that if it was i would think that hashladun would be more excited involved in the book yeah mm, like just okay, more involved okay, in the situation rather yeah, than removed and sitting upon high because you see her looking down from up on the tower the whole time, like as below, so above, or as, yeah, you have that theme throughout this whole thing. And I don't think it's necessarily a a major scheme. And to be fair, Hashladun was not difficult to defeat in the strike, like as far mm-hmm. as mechanics. She was not a wily or cunning or anything like that as far as us defeating her now granted if she has some sort of ascendant realm we obviously haven't finished her off but i was about to bring that up so yeah but we don't know if she has one of those or not or even if she has that kind of tithing i mean given that most of them are death singers i would be surprised if that's not the case did Omnicol have an ascendant realm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. Iriot was part of Crota's, mm-hmm. which is why Iriot could technically still be alive somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Anyway, Tolan made it, and she killed uh, him. <laughs> Tolan, Tolan. Oh, I love that guy, but ever since I came across him in the Dreaming City, when Riven was in charge of the plot, I'm just like, he comes back to the moon, and I'm like, I told him I'm still not trusting you, but I will take all the knowledge you give me. Mm-hmm. It's okay, he doesn't trust us either. He just wants to make it more amusing for himself when it finally comes to the end war. Yeah, when you're dead, I imagine you're pretty bored. Probably. Do we have any final thoughts on this before wrapping up the episode? Blue? I do not. I just have questions. <laughs> yeah, As same. usual. I will definitely be going over these more and more. And I'll be getting back into Fallen and Vex lore as well. I don't awesome. spend a lot of I don't spend enough time reading this lore I've discovered, but this has been enriching for me. I will definitely be taking this and running with it. Yeah. As far as I, as far as my final thoughts on that, I am trying to remember Blue. I know you said Omnigal was ascendant, but I am trying my hardest that was the to explanation. remember how we would know that. That's the explanation of all the strikes. She kept returning from death. 
But is that an official explanation in game, or is that just the explanation that because like the um, that's Valta the revamp is not. But that Valta was the revamp, the revamp strike that we got with her. Yeah, and uh, Rise of Iron, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Where it's a Cade and Ikora talking. They have undone her death, Ikora says, and then Cade goes, undone? You made it sound like they pulled apart her knitting. Yeah, yeah. Eris would tell you not to take this lightly. Well, that's why she's not here. <laughs> oh, I love that audio. I miss you, Cade. Uh, anyway, I don't have anything else. Blue? Up, oh, that's it. Breezy. I think okay. I'm good too. Cool. Shout outs. Uh second set of shout outs tonight, which I know is kind of a little weird since we record both the advanced episode and intro episode on the same evening, for those of you listening a little bit behind the scenes there. But Breezy, do you have uh same shout outs or different shout outs from the intro episode? What I have a shout out I wanted to credit in the last episode but forgot to because I wasn't remembering handle on Twitter. But this German lass who was doing some awesome art on sharing on Twitter has actually retweeted some of my art that I've tagged her in because we've like, you know, commented back and forth about the art and stuff, encourage each other, all this cool stuff. Pain this ice, P-A-I-N-T-H-I-S-I-C-E on Twitter. She's a phenomenal artist. She recently put out an awesome Warlord Shacks piece of art. It's really cool. She does great stuff. And uh, she's one of my other art inspirations that has been urging me to go on. And she actually she actually said when I put out a subclass concept art piece to quote keep doing D1 art. Oh yeah, that's right, because it was it was a sun singer that I made. You can find that art on Twitter. So yeah, go nice. follow her because she's a great artist. And uh, yeah, she's dope and she's German. German cool. people are pretty dang cool in my experience. Awesome. Blue, shout outs for you. Uh, just really just, you know, keep the community just keep being as in, as excited as everyone. I know that they're kind of doing a lot of experimentation with uh, the crucibles uh, Crucible Labs with, I think we kind of talked about that a little bit or quite a bit earlier. Um, but also the whole, the uh, charity thing that they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. They are gearing up. I think it's already started, if I remember yeah, you, that correctly. You can start stuff on that as of yesterday. And yeah, I actually okay. did sign up for that earlier cool. this afternoon. So I'll be looking forward to doing that on Twitch. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and, you know, just again, big, big shout out to Bungie for, for being such a vocal uh, supporter of that type of stuff. I, I really, I really think that that needs to be stated as something that's appreciated, but uh, yeah, no, that's pretty much it for me. Cool. Uh, I have a single shout out and it is to podcast we listen to. Blue and I actually had the pleasure of recording with jeremy last night that's Uh, right i completely forgot uh thursday the 24th of october hello future people by the way um yeah we recorded with him it was a really fun little interview uh episode where we talked about kind of the not only the concept of diving into lore but the concept of content creation in general which blue and i don't necessarily get to talk about too terribly often or at least go behind the scenes a bit so if you guys are wanting to catch 
our take on that and get some behind the scenes and a more relaxed blue and green, definitely go and give him a listen. Um, He's going to let us know when he puts that episode out and we will shoot it out on Twitter as well for you guys and in our discord channel. And if not, just go give him a sub and just wait for it to pop up because it's going to be a, it's a fun one. Blue. All right. Well, that being said, We'll do the normal normal round of goodbye. Bye. Peace out. With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusedfirechat. Links to all our episode archives can be found at www.thelorenetwork.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments and or questions for the team concerning the podcast, and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.